it's nice to meet you. <laughs> and this is my assistant and good right arm, Figment. Hey, don't worry about it, bird lady. Just get my tour group together and we're headed on out of here. Here we go. Nothing is rehearsed. There is no script. We don't know what will happen. What are you hanging around for? Let's go have some fun! Welcome to a voyage of discovery and awareness of the richness, the diversity, and the often surprising nature of W Radio. Your information station. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 379 for the week of September 28th, 2014. I am here once again to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, my videos, blog, special events, trivia books, audio tours, and my brand new 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World book. You can find everything and more over at www.radio.com. So when listening to the show, I've always wanted you to feel as though you were part of a conversation among friends, just having fun and talking about the things that we love in and about Walt Disney World. So this week, I'm going to do just that, as I invite you to come along with me as I wander the world with my friend Joel Com. Join us as we stroll through World Showcase in Epcot, casually discussing its history, our personal memories, trivia, and just enjoying the experience on the promenade and in the pavilions. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show as I'll have some updates and announcements, including information about our next Walt Disney World Meet of the Month. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. So the goal of this show, going back to the very first episode, has always been to make you, the listener, feel like you are sitting around a table at a diner. That's where the Jersey meat comes out. You're sitting around a table at a diner with a friend, just talking about something that makes you that that, that you love. So the things that make you happy about this place that we all enjoy, which is Walt Disney World. And I've always endeavored to make you feel as though you are listening to a friend and chatting with a friend. And that has led me to go from doing the the podcast, which is very much a one-way conversation, to the live broadcast where we can interact real time, to doing videos and then eventually meet to the month and then doing private tours of the parks because I love being able to share my love and my passion for Disney in so many different ways, but get that feedback from you right away as well. And today, I am in World Showcase, as many of you could probably tell by the background music, and I want to try something a little bit different. I really want to take you along with me and a friend as we do something, it's sort of an experiment, we'll say, we're going to go wandering the world, and today we're going to go wandering the world showcase, as it were, and I want to introduce you to one of my friends who is going to be part of this experience with me. Uh, he is Joel Calm. Joel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lou. What a thrill to be here on an incredibly beautiful day. It's a little humid, but here we are in Epcot at the entrance to World Showcase. 
you think this is humid. You've got to come back in July or August. Then I'll show you. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> You're from Denver, where so this is a whole probably different level of, of humidity for you. You know, I grew up in Illinois and uh, left there when I was 21 and spent 12 years in Texas and eight years in Oklahoma before I finally escaped humidity <laughs> in 2007 and moved to Colorado. And now that's home for me, but I love coming back to the parks here. Yeah, and so just by way of quick background to sort of put in context, you know, who you are for people who may not know, uh, we became friends because of things outside the Disney space. But I say all the time, especially when I when I do speaking kind of things to other podcasters, you never know who's listening, right? And especially for something like Disney, it's amazing the people I've met who are like, hey, you know, I'm a professional football player or I'm the head of a movie studio and I have this affinity and love for Disney as well. And we met early in this year at a social media marketing conference and you came over to me and you're like, I'm a huge Disney fan too, but sort of put in context, you know, about the, the world of Joel Com. Well, yeah, I am a huge Disney fan, Lou. I have been doing business online with my own websites, products, and services since 1995. So that gives you an idea. I've been, I've been at this for a long time. And in that time, I've created a number of sites. I sold sites. I sold one to Yahoo back in 1998. The Yahoo Games site came from a site that I created. I've written a number of books that have helped people all over the world make money online, including a New York Times bestseller called The AdSense Code. I've written the best-selling book on how to use Twitter for business. It's called Twitter Power, How to Dominate Your Market One Tweet at a Time. And I've also created a novelty application for the iPhone that made a bit of a stink. You could say it was explosive. And there's so many puns to go with this, but I am the infamous creator of, well, I'm, I'm the famous creator of the infamous iFart application. So just one of the crazy things that I've gotten to do throughout my life and now I get to speak and travel around the world to people and, and help them with their social media, help them with their entrepreneurial vision, teach them how to make money online and, and I get to have a lot of fun doing it and I get to meet cool people like you. I was so excited when I found out that, whoa, this guy Lou is this Disney aficionado and in Disney for me, it, it goes way back. I went to Disneyland when I was five years old and I was hooked and I can't count how many times I've been back to the parks and it's so funny because as you were talking about being you know online since 1995 like I think we probably had somewhat similar paths a lot of time spent at home in front of the computer growing up and going back to Apple IIe and 10 TRS 80s and right. lots of video games and things like that. And if I remember correctly, you were also a DJ. <laughs> right? Well, right, so were you, right? We, we <laughs> shared that expertise and you wrote, you wrote a, uh, a book. Uh, in fact, you recently posted the cover of the book that you pre- created in WordPerfect and it had the Technics 1200 <laughs> SL turntable on the front. And it's just another reason that I love you, man. I mean, it's just have this affinity because, in fact, there's a lot of people, you know, in broadcasting or in the internet marketing space that were DJs. DJs or broadcasters at some point. What is that? Is it something in the water? It, it must be. It's this desire again to talk and to share and, you know, look at a separate conversation for a separate podcast about, you know, how podcasting has now allowed people who want to share something that they love. It gives them the voice without having to worry about being hired by a radio station or waiting for a TV deal. We've become content creators and publishers and the medium is, you know, uh, well, it's and special. we reach all the way around the world now. It used to be if you were on radio, it was a local station, you know, unless you got picked up by a big network. But now anybody can sit down with their Roland recorder in their hand, create a show, get it on iTunes, and the whole world can access it. 
Yeah, it's amazing. And again, I say all the time, you never know who's listening and uh, the friendships that, that develop from it with you. And, you know, the people, look, the people who are now my best friends are the people who have come that I've met through the podcast. So, yeah, uh, yeah so we've uh, we spent a day in the Magic Kingdom before, had mm-hmm. some fun uh, in the rain. And that yeah. was uh, one of the pouring nights. So we weren't able to record then. But we said, got to do something together. So the idea today was, why don't we just simply come to one of my favorite places, which is World Showcase, especially when it's not so crowded. Uh, the food and wine festival kiosks are going up, which means the most wonderful time of the year is right around the corner. But I thought we would literally just wander the promenade, no script, nothing in mind, and we'll share everything from stories and memories to bits of trivia. If I start to bore you, just you know, give me the sign and let you know because... Um, it's what I do. It's what I, I like sort of sharing the geekiness. I can't imagine that will happen every time you start sharing a little bit about what's happening in the kingdom around us. I pay attention. For example, the very first thing we did when we came in was we jumped onto Spaceship Earth. And you uh, you nudge me and say, see that that one right there? And that, w- that was Thomas Jefferson's face. And since they like to reuse whatever they can, they reused him. And, and, and that's fascinating to me. I just geek out on that. And so then we sat down for a, a delicious meal. Of course, because it always has to be food involved. Right, in Mexico, uh, the restaurant, the San Angel restaurant. And now we are standing just outside Mexico, and we are ready to make the loop here. So let's let's sort of begin. We're going to go in a clockwise manner. But before we give, begin, just to sort of let me understand, when was the last time you think you were here in Epcot Center? Because I'm old school and still call it Epcot Center. I think it's been a couple of years since I was in Epcot. I've probably been here a dozen times, I would say, in my life, but it's been a couple of years. So what you may not know, or maybe you do know, is sort of the origins of World Showcase. You know, the idea for what Epcot was supposed to be, as I'm sure you know, Walt wanted to have this real functioning city that we as guests could come through and see future technologies. And eventually, as the legend goes, a model for Epcot, uh, sort of this, this futuristic uh, expo and this idea of a permanent world, um, world showcase came together. And that's how Epcot was born. But let's sort of talk as we're walking away. The design for what World Showcase was going to be was actually very different. As you walk, we came from Future World into World Showcase across this bridge and were met with the promenade. And you could sort of go left or right. But originally, you were actually supposed to walk in. And the first building that you saw was going to be the American Adventure. Hmm. Um, It was the host country. And it went through a lot of different machinations in terms of what it was going to be from uh, this gigantic sort of you know, dome-shaped structure to this two-story pavilion that you would actually have to walk under to get through. But then the Disney people said, well, you know, maybe this is not, maybe it's a little egocentric for us to put ours as sort of the gateway into World Showcase. And that's why it was actually put on the opposite side of the lagoon, but built a little bit highly. You're laughing already. <laughs> well, I am, because isn't that actually more egocentric to have America <laughs> as the centerpiece Right? It's right in the middle of everything else, and it is the, the building that you see across the lagoon, smack dab in the center. And actually, they used a little bit of um, reversed force perspective. So we're actually walking by Mexico, and pretty much all the buildings you'll see from Main Street USA to areas throughout the Magic Kingdom are, used, uh, are built using a filmmaking technique called force perspective, where things on the bottom are larger, and as you go up, it's, they get smaller and smaller which makes it look as though it's much taller than it actually is. So standing here in front of Mexico, this Mesoamerican pyramid, the different levels are actually smaller as they go up, which makes it look taller, especially as you uh, get farther away from it. For America, they did it the opposite. They used reverse force perspective, so as we get closer, you'll see 
the windows up on top are much larger than the ones on the bottom. So when you're looking across the, the lagoon, it actually looks like it's a lot bigger than it really is. It's five stories tall, but it's only three stories tall at the same way, the same height as all the other buildings in Epcot. In and, and I'm totally going to take pictures as we walk here and, and geek out on you know, That's this. That's okay, as well. man. The nerdier, the better. And if you get hungry, just stop me because it's all about the food. The attractions are just things you do in between eating. I love to eat, Lou, as we just demonstrated in, in Mexico. So what are we coming upon here as we pass by the pyramid? So let me ask you this. Why do you think, as, again, we're going in a clockwise manner. When you first walk into Epcot, if you go clockwise, you hit Mexico. If you go counterclockwise, you hit Canada. Any idea as to why those two countries were chosen to be in those locations? Well, I'm guessing that we're actually going to make our way completely around the world in a physical manner, as there's some, I'm guessing here that there's some semblance of uh, around the world in 80 days to this. Well, those two countries, Mexico and Canada, were put there because of their proximity to the United States. Oh, so see, Mexico to the south. Right? Well, you know, I wanted to guess that, but I thought that was too simple. It's so an aha get, moment. It's like when you get a point out, you're like, oh, of course that makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't it? You got me on that one. <laughs> And so we go from Mexico to Norway, which originally was going to be something called much bigger, called the Scandinavian Showcase. Um, as I'm sure you know, when they were building World Showcase, uh, it wasn't built just on Disney dollars alone. It was really built on corporate sponsorships. And they were trying to get sort of this conglomeration of Scandinavian corporations to come together and build the Scandinavian Showcase and eventually... Um, that ended up getting pared down, and that's how we ended up with Norway. Um, and this is actually one of, to me, one of the most beautiful pavilions, especially from the exterior. You've got this replica of the Stave Church here, which actually has a little attraction inside. They have different sort of rotating um, uh, exhibits inside. So I think the one that's currently isn't there now is about uh, Viking history and Viking mythology. So you mentioned the Maelstrom attraction. Have you ridden it in the past? I have ridden Maelstrom in the past. In fact, you know, when I came here first, my kids were very young. They're grown now, but uh, they were probably two and five years old at the time. And I remember thinking, well, there's only one thing that'll be of interest to them in the World Showcase, and that would be the ride. And I got to tell you, I was so pleasantly surprised to discover that that was not the case. They so enjoyed going from country to country and interacting and engaging with the, the people that made these crafts with them. I, I really didn't expect it. I didn't see it coming. We had more fun here at Epcot when our kids were tiny little than I ever dreamt possible. And I say this all the time. I think... I think Walt Disney World is, is replete with educational opportunities, whether, look, we, we toured Magic Kingdom, whether it's Liberty Square or Frontierland in terms of American history. But here, like you say, I bring my kids, and it's not about the rides as much anymore as it is Wandering World Showcase and getting them to be able to interact with and ask questions to people who are from Norway about what life is like there. How close is this Norway pavilion to really where they live or where they grew up is fascinating to me to watch, and it's great to see the attention in their eyes because they're not running inside to ride Maelstrom. They are really enjoying getting to talk to the cast members. And I, I agree, but I tell you, I'm a big kid at heart, and I think we should go inside and ride Maelstrom. Now. I have no problem with that. We're going in. <laughs> and so, Joel, I know you know me, but let me just be clear. My favorite thing to do here at Walt Disney World is certainly to eat. And uh, one of the, my favorite videos I ever did was my top five snacks okay. in, in Epcot's World Showcase. And arguably, the number one snack is right here in the bakery. It's Kringla. Kringla Bakery Og Cafe 
Have you ever enjoyed, have you ever savored, have you ever had the pleasure of school bread or Alessa? I can't say that I have, and I'm wondering if Kringla is Norwegian for Krispy Kreme. <laughs> right, it's their version of Krispy Kreme. So, uh, Maelstrom has been part of the Norway Pavilion since it first opened. Um, and again, this was not one of the original pavilions in Epcot in the World Showcase. There was nine. Norway and Morocco were added later on. And this Maelstrom, this Norwegian high seas adventure, is really meant to showcase not just the, the history of the people, but the culture, and really act as sort of a, a, a tour of, and, and a, a tourism brochure, sort of a, a living tourism brochure to attract people to come to Norway. And I will tell you, my dad used to love this attraction. Every time it came up, he's like, we need to go to Norway. You know, as if it was like the highest place, you know. I was like, no, I want to go to Italy. He's like, no, no, we need to go to Norway. Like, it actually did its job. And right now, there's a lot of discussion and rumors that, okay, maybe the attraction has been here for a long time. Would it make sense to put in a Frozen-themed ride inside Norway? Now, you don't have young kids, but you understand the phenomenon that is Frozen. Absolutely. I say it's time for the trolls to go away. That's what you encounter in here, right? They're trolls. Right. And it's time to bring Elsa and her buddies here. I think, you know, change is one thing that's inevitable. It, it happens. And really, Epcot is not even completely true to what Walt envisioned it as. I, I, he had a little bit of a different vision. And Disney's a man place and you know you have to give the people what they want if they're waiting five hours to meet these characters then they want the ride and besides you know we're talking about Norway and you meet a troll on this ride isn't that fictional already wait trolls aren't real <laughs> only on the internet <laughs> very good and, and I and look I'm playing devil's advocate because I, I think that you're right I think if there's a demand and people clearly love these characters they love these stories you know an argument can be made that hey you do need to get as a business, you do need to give your guests what they clearly are craving, and to have a Frozen-themed attraction would bring in not just more business, but it would bring in people that maybe haven't come to World Showcase in a long time, because now all of a sudden their kids see that, and they say, hey, we need to go and ride that, we need to go and experience Arendelle and this film in this sort of living 3D environment. Right, and I'll you know have a true confession here, even though my kids enjoyed Epcot plenty with just the one ride in it, I would like to see more rides in this part of the park. And as we walk by, we'll, we'll talk about it some more, but originally there were plans for additional attractions to be in World Showcase. So there was going to be a Mount Fuji roller coaster in Japan. There was going to be a huge visual weenie. There was going to be another mountain on this landscape that was going to have a Mount Fuji roller coaster. Um, part of the reason why it never took place was because Kodak, who was the premier sponsor of, of Walt Disney and the Disney parks at the time, said there is no way you're going to have a mountain named after our number one competitor inside a park that was sponsored. Uh, but there was a lot of other attractions. There was supposed to be an attraction inside, another attraction inside Japan called Meet the World, which is actually out in Tokyo Disneyland now. Uh, going back to the discussion about characters in the park, phase two of what the Italy Pavilion was supposed to have in it was going to have a Pinocchio village where it was going to be not just sort of Stromboli, and play, but there was going to be a real sort of Pinocchio village and a Pinocchio-themed attraction. Same thing for the UK. There was going to be an Alice in Wonderland-themed section, possibly attraction in there as well. And it never happened. But And part of the reason, look, when Epcot first opened, there were no characters here at all, including Mickey Mouse. And then CEO Michael Eisner came in and it's like, wait a minute, how are we not going to have our, you know, our main, our icon not in this park? And they said, well, because we wanted Epcot to be very 
distinct from what Magic Kingdom. Magic Kingdom is this fairy tale land, and he says, no, 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 you need to get Mickey Mouse in here, put him in his silver spacesuit, and get, get him in there ASAP. But part of those concepts were to have other character-based uh, attractions and lands. And as we walk through, you'll see clearly now you go to Morocco, you can meet Aladdin and Jasmine. You go to France, you can meet Belle and Beast. You can meet characters like Snow White in Germany, but that was not part... It was to a certain degree, but originally when it opened, not part of the plan. It wasn't. The only characters my children met when they came into World Showcase were the natives from each country. And again, that was enough for them. So I can only imagine that the kids coming here now and meeting those that would be indigenous to the countries, fictional or not, would be a thrill for them. And what about, so you saw about characters, the idea that eventually happened a, a, a year after the park opened was to introduce Epcot's own mascot, a character that was created specifically for this park. Do you remember Figment? I love Figment. Figment was fantastic. It was Journey into Imagination, and he was this little purple dragon who just had tons of character. And Figment lives on, but he's been through so many different iterations that when I was here last time, I was surprised to see that we now have another one, which is great fun. Yeah, and, and kids still love that character, and I wonder as time goes on and this sense of nostalgia is, is coming back to the Disney parks, if Figment is going to be reborn, are we maybe even going to see a new version of the Dreamfinder come back? Because they were sort of that perfect comedic pair, right? He was a teacher. He was this, Dreamfinder was a teacher. Figment, like us, were the students, but they also played off each other very well in sort of a comedic way. And, and that very first iteration of Journey to Imagination is one of those attractions that Disney fans and Disney purists and hardcore fans, if they could sort of snap their fingers and have an extinct attraction come back, for many, that would be it. So there, were, um, there was the Dreamfinder animatronic character. There were also walk-around Dreamfinders, which was great because he had this sort of figment puppet on his arm and the interactions that he was able to have with kids especially. Ron Schneider was the Dreamfinder for a long, long time. He's a good friend of mine now. And he also has a great book so with great fascinating stories of how he was able to bring those two characters to life and talk to kids and see their responses after they came out. Um, that's one of the walk-around characters that I wish was still here. So as we leave Norway, and uh, I, I can't remember the last time I had been on Maelstrom, we were talking about the attraction itself and how, you know, the first part is so heavily all about the Norwegian mythology and the trolls and, and some of the history. And then you come down after the waterfall and there's just that image of the, um, uh, the oil drilling and then it sort of goes into that little seaside fishing village. And we just took our potentially your last ride on it, depending on what may happen in the future. You know, I was thinking that uh, they're narrating, and one of the things the narrator says is you're, they're pulling you up in the boat, is that you won't be the last one to go in. I'm thinking at some point there will be a last ride, and it's going to be their last one. <laughs> you are the last. Well, but there is always room for expansion. We were talking before about how many countries there are, how many countries there were originally, how many more countries could have been added. And again, there were signs on the promenade to be adding... Spain, Israel, when we get down to the corner, Equatorial Africa. And actually, if you look where we are here, this is the one section of the World Showcase Promenade where two countries actually don't butt up against each other. You can see there's actually a gap in between Norway and China, and there's a, a, a gateway to a, a backstage area. So I wanted to actually walk to you, with you into China because there's, there's and we, and I have done a full-blown episode, a Disney scene investigation 
about this, but you talk about the beauty and the authenticity and the attention to detail here. This Temple of Heaven, which is a half-sized replica of the one in Beijing, was duplicated you know, almost exactly to what the original is. And if you go back and listen to the episode that we did about China, you will learn about so much significance, not just in the architecture, but in the colors and in the numbers and everything else that you see here as, as Joel's taking selfies. See, you're like me. We're like 13-year-old girls. We take selfies everywhere we go. Well, I, I'm a 13-year-old boy, but <laughs> if you want to be the girl for this trip, that that's fine. You know, nowhere, not even when the Concorde still existed, could you make the leap from Norway to China so quickly <laughs> as we just did. And that's, you know, the beauty of World Showcase. But as we walk into this um, this Temple of Heaven, tell me how, um, again, there are 12 columns representing the 12 parts of the Chinese calendar in the 12 months of the year and the four pillars that are holding up this representation of earth and the reds and the gold all have significance. But what I want you to do is I want you to stand right in the center. Right in the middle? In that okay. dot right there. By the way, I am the year of the dragon. Are you? Yes, 1964. See, that's a cool year. I think I'm the year of like the monkey or... Just not the rat. You I'm know, not, I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. get that. I'm, so, I'm 68, so... It's a whispering gallery right here. So and now if you speak straight up... up if I talk up this way, everybody can hear me. So do you hear like how the acoustic, it's, it's perfectly balanced acoustics in here. So when you stand in the middle of the room, you get a very different acoustical sense as if you walk out of it. It you, is. You so little... you're, you're actually hearing here because now the microphone is right below the center. Of oh, the... yeah. I don't know if it's picking it up. Uh, I wonder if it is. So we'll find out in post-production, but it's really cool. <laughs> and that's one of the, like, if these are some of the little things that you won't find on a map that I love about this, uh, about World Showcase, right? The hidden treasures that you can find if you talk to a cast member or if you take the time and put your map down and just go a little exploring. Well, what I want to know is where's the hidden Mickey in here? I'm sure there are many. I'm going to leave that to the expert Steve Barrett because he probably knows, he obviously knows where all the hidden Mickeys are. And I don't know if here in this sort of temple... It's kind of which, a, sacred a sacred place, thing, right? right? You might, I probably wouldn't actually find one here. Well, they would have hidden it. Yes. <laughs> Are we going to see the uh, the film? We can actually. I would actually prefer we walk through okay. because what I like about China and I love the film. It was redone uh, a number of years ago. It is one of the Circle Vision films, but I like the exhibits. And what I have found too is, again, you would think that maybe your kids would get bored. My kids love coming into here and seeing the Tomb Warrior exhibit, which wow. they didn't realize was actually a real thing. Like, and there's such great educational value in this exhibit in terms of the tomb warriors and what was discovered in China and the exhibits that surround all these few hundred warriors right in the center. And you're going to think me an uncultured swine, but I have never been inside this building. And now I feel millennia of Chinese guilt <laughs> the, the, of all their forefathers for not having seen this because it's amazing. Well, see, my work here is done because if I've taken you to a place that you've never been before, like, that's the goal. Like, I want other people to be inspired to go, hey, I've never seen the Tomb Warrior exhibit. Maybe I should take the time and read the plaques. Actually, every single warrior is different. Of the thousands of warriors that were in the real thing, they were all different because supposedly they were either crafted by or meant to look like the individual people in the army. Okay, what else have we got in here? This is interesting. So, again, this is all sort of relating to the archaeology of how these were found and when they were found and how they were laid out and just what a, an incredibly historic find it was. 
Right. So what, can you imagine when they're digging and they would come upon this, uh, we're looking at the archaeological grid here, and they would come upon some sort of relic and dig, and then they find these entire horse bodies that are cast underneath there. I, just wouldn't, I mean, you wouldn't want to take a break. You'd want to just keep digging and keep digging until you uncover the whole thing. You know, for a lot of us, our introduction to archaeology came from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. But my son sees this, who, you know, at one point thought he wanted to be a paleontologist, and now he's like, I want to be an archaeologist. I want to be able to dig and find treasures like this. But so China's a great example of, you mentioned, like, look, how we were able to go from Norway to China, two countries which, for the moment, you can probably say most people are probably never going to get to visit in their life. You were able to experience and learn about Norway and then China, but as we, in a, in a five-minute walkthrough of the China Pavilion, we saw, and here, so you've got the, um, the acrobats are no longer here, but you've got these, um, these performers. So you've got modern Chinese performers. You've got ancient Chinese culture and history, early culture going back two millennia. You come out, you have a representation of a busy Chinese street and shop, and then different restaurants as well. You've experienced literally thousands of years of Chinese culture in a span of just a few minutes and a few steps. I feel like my horizons are opening up before me, and it's all because of you, Lou Mangello, <laughs> you and Walt Disney. And now we're making the transition. We're departing from China, and it looks like we're moving on to somewhere completely different. What is this? So as we cross over this bridge, which is where the Illuminations barges come out for the nightly fireworks show, we're heading up to the African outpost. And this is going to be, or was going to be, the first part of phase two of Epcot Center's World Showcase expansion, where there was going to be an entire Equatorial Africa pavilion, which was going to be a beautiful technological marvel, giving you a sense of being in, you know, the forests of Africa and being out on the veldt. And again, lots of culture, lots of history. And unfortunately, due to political and financial reasons, it was never built. And I actually will link in the show notes to a podcast that I did about the World Showcase pavilions that never were. We spent a lot of time talking about Africa. And again, you can get a sense, Joel, of just how much space there is back here. In terms of the potential for adding countries to World Showcase, there is a ton of room. If you look at a Google Earth map or one of the Bing uh, you know, 3D views, you can see there's a ton of room back here. So my question for you, and I don't know the answer to this, is if you are Imagineer for a day and you could add any one country to World Showcase, what would it be and why? So we're still coming up on France and Italy, Canada, Germany. the U.S., Germany, Japan, and I think that about covers it, right? right. Um, Morocco. Morocco. What isn't covered well? Uh, well, certainly, um, like, Russian culture, right? Which, that, was, which was going to be a pavilion here. That I think that would be uh, pretty fascinating. And we don't really have South America. We have Mexico, but as far as other areas of Latin America, Peru mm -hmm. would be really cool. Right? Also, that was one that was rumored to be coming for a long time. And Venezuela and Costa Rica were actually two pavilions which were mapped out and planned and never got built. Because you could do a mini Machu Picchu, right? Oh, Say I that see. five times fast. <laughs> mini Machu Picchu. Mini Machu Picchu. Uh, you know, I would also... Let me help you out. Let me just throw a couple oh, things wait, out there. You have a conclusion. Okay. No, I, I have. I've, I've got it narrowed down to my top We're, 15. Well, India isn't here. India, right. So India is one. Thailand. Greece. Greece would be beautiful. Egypt. 
Yeah, Egypt would be uh-huh. gorgeous. Now you're going back to Tomb Raider again because right. she explored inside the pyramids. I would love to see Egypt. A very cool Sphinx, non-Luxor-looking, like not a glass pyramid, but like a real... I mean, how beautiful would that be in terms of a visual icon leading you across the lagoon? Well, it would be a really great um, complement to the, the Mexican pyramid right across on the other side somewhere the two of them kind of framing the entry to the world showcase and that's what you would have had with japan too you would have had that mount fuji in the background and see and there's snow we're in germany and snow white's making her appearance so i will tell you in terms of great places to get a snack this is one of my it's actually two it's a twofer here because on the promenade you can get a big german salted pretzel with a beer that pretzel is as big as your head lou and there's an easy joke there, but I can't pronounce it, but right here, the Carmel Kitchen, if you are a Carmel or a sweet fan, like, that's the place to go. Can we get Carmel corn in the Carmel Kuchi? Not only can you get it, but you can watch them make it fresh. I say we go in. Let's go. Right, so we just walked in, and you just went, oh my gosh, like, what do you smell? I smell a Carmel atmosphere unlike any other. We're going to get to see them make some of this now. So, in typical Lou Mangello fashion, we had to stop so you could eat, which is awesome. You hear and this? You hear this? This is the sound of a delicious bag of Werther's Original Handcrafted Caramel Popcorn. Somewhere else you've never been before. This is a day of firsts for you. I've never been into the Caramel Cushy. Cushy, I think is how she pronounced it. And, uh, well, let's taste it, shall we? Here we go. Mmm. Mmm. It's mm. even better when you're watching them make it, right? And they're sort of mixing the caramel and fresh, and it's nice and hot. Like, even on a scalding hot day today, that's a pretty awesome. Literally by hand, too. Yeah. She was she was messing around the pan. And here, you want a bite? I'm Wah. good. Okay. Oh. There's a lot of popcorn in that bag, and it's under $4. It's a good value, too. Yeah. So we got the popcorn, and we got a chocolate cookie covered, literally covered in caramel. with caramel. And that was $4.49. So, if you look at the Germany Pavilion, we were talking before about attractions. Um, there was actually supposed to be a Rhine River attraction here in the Germany Pavilion. Now, a lot of people think, and this is a, an urban legend which we can kind of debunk, is right by where Snow White is meeting guests. There are two gigantic brown sort of barn-style doors. A lot of people think that was going to be the entrance to the attraction. Instead, it actually takes place under the archway here. So on the left is the enter the entrance into the beer garden restaurant. On the opposite side is a little counter service location, which, by the way, has awesome bratwurst and pretzels and sausage and things like that. But behind the mural that's painted there, that was going to be the entrance to this Rhine River attraction, which was going to take you through, you know, the, the dark forests and the, the river areas and the countryside of Germany and again was unfortunately one of those things that never got built well and I can understand he said with a mouthful of caramel corn <laughs> why they, another reason they wouldn't do that you've got the river ride in Mexico as tame as it is and then right next door you've got the river ride in Norway and to have another one just here after China I think that would be a really high concentration of water focused rides and so I don't know that I would put it there So, Joel Kahn, Italy, as you can tell by the background music, is one of my favorite pavilions. And, dare I say, one of the few places, not just in Epcot or World Showcase, 
But in all of Florida, dare I say even all the South, that you could actually get good pizza at Via Napoli in the back. But architecturally, on the outside, I think it's just visually beautiful. It, it is gorgeous, and you dared say it, and I dare agree with you. It's absolutely gorgeous here, and I love, the music's just so happy, right? I want a fadika-dee, fadika-da, whatever that means. I don't know, but... And, and if we had not just downed a good bag of caramel corn, I'd probably be saying, let's get some pizza. And lunch. We had lunch and right. caramel corn. Right? <laughs> right. So we'll have to walk slowly so that dinner comes before, you know, the end of the day. Now, I've actually had the pleasure of many years ago being in Venice, Italy, as well as Rome and Florence. And recognizing some of the landmarks there is just, it makes me want to go back to the real thing. And so what you, I'm, what I'm sure you were just about to say was, Lou, this looks exactly like the Campanile and the Doge's Palace in St. Mark's Square. Exactly. But why is it backwards? You know, I wasn't going to ask you why it was backwards, <laughs> uh, but I'm sure you have the answer, Lou. It's actually on the opposite sides of where they're supposed to be because, again, across the lagoon, they were looking for a visual balance oh. next to the American Adventure Pavilion, so they switched locations. And it isn't interesting that they did not include the Bridge of Size because, of course, that meant execution. Oh. Well, see, I didn't even know that. Yeah, so the Bridge of Size was the bridge that crossed from the prison to the court, or from the, uh, the courtroom to the prison, and people knew that once they crossed that bridge, they would get their last look at Venice and sigh because <sighs> they were going to prison or to their death, to their execution. I would actually rather go over the bridge to Tutagusto, the wine bar, because that is one of my favorite late-night lounges anywhere in Walt Disney World. Whether you do it after hours or before illuminations, they have a great uh, bar menu. They've got great pastas, Italian meats and fresh cheeses, a ton of different types of wines. One of my favorite places to just sit and relax one of the true, awesome, hidden treasure nook and crannies of World Showcase. Let's enter into Italy, shall we? Oh, oh I, something I said along the way clearly piqued your entrance. <laughs> I think it was wine. <laughs> so we just left Italy. Again, one of my favorite pavilions architecturally. We met Giorgio, the Venetian mask artist. And I'll link in the show notes to one of the earlier videos I did where I interviewed Giorgio and he talked to us about the creation of the masks. And I gave you a look inside Tutagusto, the wine cellar, which is one of my favorite places. And you see why you said it's a nice place, a sort of quiet little out-of-the-way nook. You can go with someone special or take your friends. I was looking at sort of the fresh mozzarella and Italian meats, and you gravitated right towards the desserts. The desserts, the tiramisu. Yeah, those are beautiful. And, and that was just a quick hop back across the Atlantic, and we're home. Right, so we come to the American Adventure, which, of course, I love because I'm a proud American. However, we go from a pavilion that has no fewer than three places to eat, right? They've got Tutto Italia, Tutto Gusto, and Via Napoli, as well as a little wine bar inside where you can get some uh, a little wine, maybe a little dark chocolate to go with it, to the American Adventure, which has a counter-service restaurant called Liberty Inn, which has uh, it's, uh, different takes on burgers and fries. Now, let me ask you this. The one thing I wish the American Adventure had is would be a sit-down restaurant, right? Showcasing the many different flavors and cultures of this country from Pan-Asian to Texas or St. Louis-style barbecue to great seafood. What would you put in an American Adventure restaurant? 
I think they should just have a kiosk called Hot Dogs and Apple Pie, <laughs> right? Because that's what we think of when we think of America, although we are far more of a melting pot now. And so many of the foods of other nationalities have been blended in. I can't tell you how often I eat Mexican food or Italian food, Chinese or other Asian food. And, of course, we have Americanized versions of that, which, you know, is opposed to authentic so this is my favorite pavilion. I love Japanese culture. I love Japanese food like there ain't nobody's business. I could eat sushi every day of the week. I think architecturally, it is just, it's stunning. I love the colors. I love the castle in the background. I love, even without a roller coaster, there's so much that I enjoy. And Katsura Grill, which is up in the corner there, and the bamboo covered seating area outside is my favorite little getaway in, in all of World Showcase. Their architecture is so unique and majestic and, and just gorgeous, and I want to walk around and take a look at it. And what I love about this pavilion, too, and again, I've done a full DSI, we did a really deep dive tour of this pavilion, is just how significant the details are from, you know, unlike the, Jap- the, the Chinese gardens, which are very open and free-flowing The Japanese gardens are very deliberate in terms of placement, in terms of symbolism, in terms of what they represent. And, like, if I could have anything in my backyard, it would be this koi pond and the waterfall and the bamboo. These fish are such... They're really, for the sea, majestic creatures. Their colors are amazing. And they're so delicious, too, <laughs> with a little bit of wasabi. Oh, God. I want, it's great when you come when they're feeding them. Yeah. Uh, the feeding frenzy that takes place in the koi pond is a sight to see. They really stir the water. This was originally meant to be the location behind it would have been the Mount Fuji roller coaster. But inside here was going to be a Meet the World attraction, which they have out in Japan now, which really would have given us a carousel of progress like introduction to Japanese history and Japanese culture. And so what have we gotten here instead? So you have uh, the Mr. Koshi department store, which is the largest department store chain in Japan, is back here as well as a series of rotating exhibits. So for a while, uh, one that I really enjoyed was a a tin toy exhibit. It's called Spirited Beast. But I love the history uh, and, and I'm looking forward to one day going to Japan, not just to see Tokyo Disneyland, uh, which, from what I understand, is the most beautiful of all the Disney parks. But I want to spend weeks there really sort of immersing myself in the Japanese culture and food. Correct me if I'm wrong, but as we step into the building here at the back, it seems like this country may be the deepest yeah. setback of all of them. Yeah, in terms of, you know, they all were sort of given relatively equal sizes to work with. But in terms of the utilization of the space, in terms of as far back as it goes, this is a huge, huge pavilion. And you don't realize it in places like Italy or American Adventure because it is taken up by the attraction. Apparently, Pocky chocolate cream-covered biscuit sticks are big in Japan. There, you never had Pocky? I've never had Pocky before. A sake bar off in the corner, and I'm a huge fan of the sake. So you can not only purchase sake to take home, which I've done on many occasions, but you can also sample some sakes here. But I love coming here and coming into the back and sampling some of the very unique Japanese snacks and usually the game that I play with friends or my kids when we come here is we pick out something different and then try it. Oftentimes I'll try it on a video and I was mentioning to you before when I tried the little crabs and this is what the little guys look like. 
They're delicious. I'm sure they're delicious. I can't see myself eating them, though. No offense to our Japanese friends, but I... If you I, think I, those are bad, mm-hmm. you got to try the dried cuttlefish. Um, I don't, but I do have to take a picture of them. <laughs> so I have a memory of something I will never eat. I, I've tried a lot of the things here. I can't quite bring myself to try the... As much as I like sushi, I don't think I could eat that. I'm with you on this, Lou, and now I have a photograph so I can remember it forever. <laughs> what to write and what not to eat. But you know what? Oh, my God. I should get these. I haven't. So I love wasabi peas. Sriracha, Sriracha peas. peas. Hold those up for us there. Those will light you up. So is that going to be your uh, your new snack to it's, it's one of my... Well, I've tried it. I've eaten many a bag myself. But usually we go to, like... These sound like they're gross, man. But the shrimp-flavored chips... Don't make that face. I'm... <laughs> They're delicious. It's, it's not a face of disgust. It's more a quizzical, huh, type of uh, expression. So what's something you haven't had? And let's go ahead and try something. I, I haven't had a lot of them because I can't read. A lot of them have descriptions on the back. Like, this is sort of the safe zone to me. It's when you get into the dried fish area here that you really got to be. Because most of the things, you know, are dried rice cakes, um, different types of cookies and, and chips and things like that. Some of them are spicy, some of them are not. Those are like a variety of different rice snacks. This looks like a glazed Chex mix. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I can't, I, I would tell you what it is, There's but little, I can't. There should be a description on the back. Read uh, the package. Oh, glazed Chex mix. <laughs> Great. Apparently it's the same in any language. <laughs> so we didn't even do a full tour of the Mitsukoshi department store, which I love just browsing around through. My kids dig like all the Pokemon and Hello Kitty stuff. But uh, what I wanted to show you is outside the entrance to Mitsukoshi is one of these stone lanterns that 99.9% of the guests walk by without understanding its significance, partly due to the fact that there is no plaque in front of it describing what this was. But this was actually a gift to the Walt Disney Company from the Emperor of Japan in the early 1970s when they were building Walt Disney World Japan, very early on, wanted to get into the Disney theme park game, and they were sort of wooing the Disney company. And as a gift of appreciation to the Disney company, the emperor gave this to Walt Disney World. And for years, it sat unmarked the way it is now outside of the Polynesian Resort. And then after Epcot opened, this was eventually brought here. And there is no plaque because it's not about the emperor. It's not about the gift. It's about what it represents. And so... It's, uh, it's too bad that most more people don't know what the significance of, of this lantern is and where it came from. And it's a beautiful piece, and you're right. Most people will just walk by that, and it is interesting that there's no sign. It's very subtle. Can you go back there? So you're asking me if you can go. You can sort of wander into the back of the pavilion, and again, it's one of those little nooks and crannies that you should. But they actually have a, an interactive game here called uh, Phineas and Ferb World Showcase Adventure. We were given an old-style flip phone, believe it or not, and you are sent on an adventure where you have to sort of rescue the world from the evil Dr. Doofenshmirtz. And what it does is it brings you to different pavilions, and you have to sort of solve these little quests. And depending on where, the, where you go, it uses like an RFID technology, and it'll activate certain things in the different pavilions that sort of make them come to life. So That's it's, re- it's very cool, and kids right. love it. Family, it's a great family interactive thing, too. It and is. it's free. And, and, you know, I'm noticing here, right between Japan and Morocco, there's a big space that could be used to house another country. 
And this is where one of the proposed countries was originally supposed to be. And, and it's cool that you're noticing these gaps. And then what you'll see, too, is as you walk in between Morocco and France, there's another gap. And I'll show you how it's represented and what was supposed to be there. But the Kingdom of Morocco, when World Showcase was being built, like I told you before, it was all built on corporate sponsorships. There was no Africa Pavilion, and the King of Morocco himself was disappointed in that fact and wanted his country to be represented here. So it's the only country that is sponsored, the only pavilion that's sponsored by the native country. The king literally sent his malams here to design the pavilion and helped build it, and it is not funded with corporate dollars. It's all from the country itself and the Board of Tourism. And if you really take the time to wander through, and you should because the, the streets sort of in the old city go back and they wander through. There is incredible mosaic tile work here, all done again by those Moroccan Malams. If you go into some of the buildings, you can hear the families upstairs talking and arguing. But if you take note that all the tile work here is imperfect, right? There are broken tiles. It's not because the belief is that only Allah can create something that's perfect. The same reason why there's no representations of any humans or animals in the mosaic work, because only Allah can create life. This is cool, and you know, because of the way they've got Morocco designed, you might be deceived into thinking that the back of it, it, it what looks like the back really isn't. It's yeah. the entryway into the city streets, and I've never been in here either. Yeah. And so we're in the Fez house. If you look, it's an open-air sort of apartment complex. If you stand here long enough, I think you could still hear families as if they're living and working upstairs. That is very cool. So this is what I love. And you're right. So many people walk by Morocco. They look on their park map. They see that there's no attraction here. And they keep on going, thinking that the gate here is the, is the back of the pavilion, where you don't realize that there is this open-air bazaar. And restaurant Marrakesh is all the way back here as well, which has awesome food that shouldn't scare the average guest because it's not anything that, oh, I wouldn't like Moroccan food because it's very, very accessible. The menu is very accessible. Also, they've found a way to draw people back here by having Aladdin and Jasmine show up. My favorite part of this pavilion and one of my favorite counter-service locations in all of Walt Disney World is actually the Tangerine Cafe, which is a counter-service uh, Moroccan cuisine. They've got a nice little indoor seating area. They have what I like to call the Avengers platter, where you can get a nice dish of lamb and chicken shawarma. There's also great desserts back here as well. Moroccan iced mint. You love your desserts, man. Look at you. Yeah, had we not already indulged on caramel corn and uh, the remainders of a cookie, which is in your bag still, I would be all over this uh, brownie cake or chocolate muffin. No, the pistachio baklava, brother. That's Oh, yeah, nice little drizzle of honey on top. It's flaky and it's crispy. I don't know how I'm always hungry. So I think Morocco, and again, I need to do a, a real deep dive DSI on here because it is an overlooked pavilion. I think because, again, there's no attraction or people might think that the food is somewhat scary. This is the new Spice Road table, which is a tapas-style restaurant right on the World Showcase Lagoon. If you time it just right, you can sit outside, watch fireworks. And I, and I like sort of small portions for sharing. So as we go in between Morocco and France, uh, you can see that they're creating a space for the Food and Wine Festival. This is one of the, uh, this is probably where Belgium is going to be with the most awesome 
fresh Belgian waffles you will ever have. And chocolate. And cho- well, no chocolate, but lots of waffles. No chocolate. And beer. No chocolate. No chocolate. No Belgian chocolate. But if you look, as we're crossing in between France and Morocco, there is a stone pathway, a stone river. Do you know what this represents? The Rhone? No. I, I do not. It's the Strait of Gibraltar. I knew that. I was just testing you. <laughs> I, all along, I was aware of that. And congratulations, you are correct. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It is my, that is my Jeopardy question. That, but what I love is that it represents the Strait of Gibraltar geographically it's perfectly located and actually this was going to be where the Spain pavilion was going to be located in between Morocco and France inside France there are a number of restaurants there's also awesome crepes more important you can also get the the Grand Marnier slush and the Grey Glue Citron slush you want to talk about a nice little drink on a hot day Yahtzee so the Eiffel Tower is actually built about 1 13th original size and again showing you the attention to detail the france pavilion and look we all understand that these are just facades right they're like movie sets they are buildings that sort of built with you know a, a french marketplace facade on the front what but this pavilion no they actually decorated and um created facades for the backside as well and you're saying why right you can't see it it's because if you're staying at the boardwalk or the beach club, you could actually look over this way, and they don't want you to see the backside of a, of a show building. They want you to actually look as though you're look, looking at friends. You know, that's interesting, and it's well done. When I was in Disneyland, California uh, earlier this year, I was walking around the back of the uh, raceway mm-hmm. that they did in the car zone, and they have not done that, right. and you can clearly see this is just wood, and it... it doesn't look good. Right, because if you're walking on, on Harbor Boulevard or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. But if you're inside the park, they want the consistency of the story. They don't want to break the illusion. Okay, so the shops are interesting, but I see ice cream. Are you trying to keep me away from this? I, I knew only bad things would happen if I brought you back here. But... What's bad about ice cream? <laughs> can, can we, Dad, can we have some ice cream, please? Please, can we have some ice cream? I want ice cream. Only in the name of research do I okay. do I go in here. I'm good with that. It says 16 flavors. Handcrafted. Here they are. And uh, what do we have here? Chocolate. Oh, my God. More Coconut caramel. white chocolate. Coconut white chocolate. We have sorbet. We have mint chocolate. I'm sold. Oh, you know, I wasn't going to get anything, but... You are now. I have to. So as it is wont to do here in Florida in the summer, it, uh, it's the afternoon, so the afternoon thunder showers have come into play. So we've taken our hand, well, we took, because it didn't last very long, our, hand, our handmade ice cream from Lardes, Lardesan de Glaces. I can't speak. It's Lardesan de Glace. Thank you. From the ice cream place, and we've gone into the bakery <laughs> uh, to duck out of the rain and just sit and chat for a little while. Again, this is one of those neat little nooks and crannies. Hidden gem, if you want to get into World Showcase before it officially opens, they actually serve breakfast here in the morning, so you can come here at 9, hang out for a little while, and be one of the first people in World Showcase. They have a really nice breakfast and lunch menu inside the bakery, and for Joel Com, a, uh, a wide assortment of sweet treats. My sweet tooth is my entire head. I love sweets, so I have to watch it. But you know what? I'm at Disney, and I'm with Lou, and we're going to have ice cream, gosh darn it. So we hand-ate the handmade ice cream. 
We're going to walk it off. I'm not worried. We are. We got some miles to go still, and we're going to see the rest of the world showcase and then hit Future World and get some rides in. But, you know, what a great opportunity to just sit down and, and talk. Yeah, and this is, you know, when I talk about places like the nooks and crannies of World Showcase, I, especially as a local, it's not as much about the attractions for me anymore as it is coming here with friends and finding little corners to sort of get away and sit in places like this and just share a meal or grab a cup of coffee or grab a drink and just sit and chat a little bit. You know, and it brings back so many memories being here, not just of being here with my kids at various ages, but also when I was a child coming to the Magic Kingdom and being so inspired by Walt and the magic that w- that happened here. And I would go back to my home in the Chicago suburbs in Illinois as a young boy, and my brother and I were just, our imaginations were so fueled by the dark rides, right, by the Haunted Mansion, the Pirates. We had this basement in our house that was just had so much space and we used to create these rides for each other we would tip over the sofas and find big boxes and create these walls and have like a little sled that once we designed this little track ride you're laughing at me but you know you did this as well we uh we would lead each other through the creations that we made and i remember back in grammar school after being at disney i used to draw on big old you know, uh, colored paper, my own theme park maps with the different worlds. You know, the whole idea of a hub was so brilliant that I took that with me as well. In fact, when I launched my first website in 1995, it was called worldvillage.com, and World Village consisted of several different areas, a gamer zone, a, um, an educational area called the schoolhouse, an area focused on new CD-ROMs called the Multimedia Cafe. There was a village chapel for spiritual and personal development areas. There was an office, and we had an image map that what had a hub and each one of these were zones in this virtual village so the way disney inspired me even carried over into my first internet business so it's funny because as you were telling that story i was watching your eyes i was watching your face and i was listening more not to what you were saying but how you were saying it and i think that's you know we talk about sort of the, the disney magic i think that's the magic of this brand of this place is unlike any other brand people have an emotional connection to it. You have an emotional connection to this place that goes back to you being a kid, not because of, you know, something that you bought. It's something intangible that you remember, that you, and everybody continues to use the words, like, inspires you. And I think that's why the brand loyalty for Disney is so high. There are so many Disney websites and podcasts and books and people that love, I hate even calling it a product, but love this brand so much because of the emotional ties that we have to. It's true, because it's forever impacted our lives. Disney and the magic that he created in our imaginations helped shape who we became. And I think oftentimes, you know, it took me actually sharing about drawing out my own theme parks to realize that when I designed this website, that was Disney-inspired. We were actually just talking offline about, you know, non-Disney things like social media and influencers and people in the space... You know, Walt Disney in 2014 is still very much an influencer, even though he's been gone for so many decades. 
you know, it'd be really interesting to measure the clout score of people who have passed away, right? Because you're correct. There is an influence that continues. There's certainly influence of those who are living right now. But uh, it's, it's actually what you said is pretty profound because if, if Walt Disney still had a clout score, it would be amongst the highest, right? If Steve Jobs had a clout score, even though he's deceased, it would be up there at 98 or 99 because his influence permeates not only our culture but internationally so much it's a it's part of our lives of billions of people right it's it transcends pop culture and entertainment and technology it is part of everything that we do and it goes like you said it goes back to our childhood and just sort of you know influencing our imagination as kids continuing on decades later you know, so you've given me a bit, an idea for a website, right? You know, it's kind of morbid, but a, a clout score, an influence score for the dead, um, not the Grateful Dead. Although Jerry Garcia would also have a significant clout score for their contribution to music. Interesting. What? That's a tweet right there. What would Walt Disney's clout score be? And I think you're right. I think it would be, you know, if anybody was going to come close to 100, he would probably be it. I'm actually going to tweet that. Unless you beat me to it. Ready? Go. Phones are out. It's a tweet match. It's on. But I think that's what it is, you know, about this place. And, and when I started podcasting back in 2005, and people were like, wait, you're going to sit down and talk about Mickey Mouse for an hour a week? Like, And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. And they're like, you're a freak. Like, who's going to listen to that? And I'm like, we do, because there's something special about this place. There's something that... We have a connection to whether it's the movies, the merchandise, the theme parks, whatever it may be. And that's why we gravitate towards it. That's why we enjoy talking about it. That's why I do such a positive show because I want to talk about the things that make us happy about this place. Well, and I think that's it. This place makes us happy. And what it does is it recaptures an innocence that we all lose at some point because we become aware of the harsh realities of the world and we experience them ourselves and we can't hide from them but when we come here we can do as much as they do as much as possible to create an atmosphere from the moment that you step on the property and you hear the happy music and you smell the food and you see the magnificent buildings and the the people that are excited to go in and the cast members that are so welcoming and we get to escape as much as possible the harsh realities of life and be happy. That's why it's the happiest place on earth. You know, and the whole time we were in Norway and we were talking about the pavilion and we were talking about the attraction, my mind wasn't necessarily going to, you know, frozen and, and oh, you know, people that are, are happy or sad about the potential of going away. I kept on thinking about being here with my dad and how my dad loved this simple attraction. You know, there wasn't anything overly technologically you know, uh, mind-blowing about it. Uh, it wasn't a thrill ride. It wasn't the quintessential dark ride. But he loved it. And so as we're talking, like, that's what it brought me back to, right? And that's what there is about this place. It was the memories we had as kids going with our parents and now as parents going with kids or going with friends and imparting our love of this place on them and then seeing it through their eyes. Well, and that's it. And it means something different to everyone based on their own experiences. And, you know, I'm sure there's some people that have had not-so-good experiences at Disney. Uh, they're probably a much smaller number, but for most of us, there's some connection that we go back to that triggers something in us of, of better times. And that's why I love coming back here again and again. And as I get older, each trip 
in each you know time to a park, it, there's a different reason to be there, and I get something different out of it. And I think we have a certain level of expectation when we hear the word Disney or when we know we're coming to Walt Disney World. We know what kind of experience we are going to have, right? You keep coming back because you know if I go to Disney, I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to eat well. I'm going to do things that I really enjoy. And, and even before, you said, oh, next time I go to Orlando, yeah, maybe I'll go and try this place or that place. You weren't like, oh, God, I need to go here because I haven't been to... Like, you want to keep coming back here. Yeah, you want to try the other places, but there is something about this place that continues to draw you back that you... you you came here and bought a one-day ticket knowing full well, hey, it's going to be worth it for you. You're not going to walk out of here saying, you know, I didn't really get my $99 worth today. 101 <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an Orlando resident. They get you for a few extra dollars. No, absolutely not. You plunk down your money and you know that you're expecting the value in return and you're not going to leave here going, wow, I wasted that money. That, that just that doesn't happen. And, uh, you know, when you can come... So, first of all, I loved coming with my family. That was great. But when you aren't with kids and you have a lot more freedom to take it leisurely or, and just be with friends, it's a different experience. And, and I appreciate all of it. I agree. I'm very much a, you know, slow down, put down the map, look up and around. Believe me, Joel, if we had all day, I could be boring you to tears and we could spend hours literally in individual pavilions looking at the details, hearing the stories, looking at the secrets, because there's so much to appreciate here, right? There's so much attention to detail that I think will enhance your enjoyment of the parks the next time you come. And then hopefully you, the next time you bring somebody, go, hey, you got to come here to Morocco and check out this because you are excited to share that with them. Absolutely. It's By the way, not my kid. <laughs> right, not mine. It's a way of paying it forward, and I just have to smile because even as we're sitting in the restaurant talking, I hear a kid screaming at the top of his lungs and thinking, you know, this parent is not having, this is not a happy place for them at this moment. But that's, you know, all part of the experience. Yeah, and, you know, uh, I always say if you really want to test the limits of your familial love, just get in the car from New Jersey, drive all the way down, and go to Disney World in August for seven days. <laughs> so it just makes me think of Chevy Chase and Vacation Wally World. Roy Wally World. But that's what we did. I mean, we drove from New Jersey every year. I sat unbuckled, facing backwards in the back of a station wagon and, and, you know, came down to Florida. And this is where we always came. Even if it wasn't our final destination, we always spent time here because my dad knew we were going to have a good time when we did. And people ask me, where did my love of Disney come from? It wasn't the rides. Maybe it was the food. It was getting in the back of the car with my parents and driving to Florida and the time that we spent here in the parks on his shoulders or walking with him and talking about things and as I got older appreciating it on a very very different level and that's the bottom line it's all about the relationships in our life it's about the people and it's about sharing some really magical moments together and gosh do I sound like a commercial or what (laughs) but and you know what it's like I'm sure many people say I sound like a commercial and it's for no other reason than how we look you know, we're it's here true. because we enjoy it, right? It's true. This is it's real, and this is how it makes people feel, and this is why this is the number one tourist destination anywhere, yeah. ever in the whole history of forever, at least for now. <laughs> All right. So, how are we doing on weather? I think we're good. I think the rain is stopping. It's time to venture forth to the UK. I think now we're just basically walking to walk off our ice cream uh, through the United Kingdom. 
So if you remember the last time you were here, we were wandering through the Magic Kingdom. Right. And as we went from Fantasyland to Liberty Square to Frontierland, and even as we were going down Main Street, I was explaining how it was sort of a, a journey through time. And as you were moving forward, you're moving through time. The same thing actually takes place here in the UK. And so if you look at the progression of the shops from the tea caddy uh, moving down, you're actually going from the 1600s all the way through to the 1800s. And you can tell in the different types of architectural styles, both on the outside and the inside. Uh, we did a full, actually I did a, one of the, my favorite shows I ever did was we did a detailed walkthrough and review of the UK with someone from the UK to see how close reality was to fantasy. And surprisingly, it was actually very close. Some of these buildings like the Tea Caddy you could find in some of, you know, the older villages. But, you know, back on High Street, it looked like what you might find in downtown London. I would have totally missed this had you not pointed it out. Uh, call me Mr. Oblivious, but now that you pointed out, I see it. The uh, the Tea Caddy's definitely old style. You say 1600s or so? Yeah, and it, it gets more modern. It's cool to look at the progression all in one uh, one fell swoop here. Yeah, it's one of these pavilions that, as we stand here on the promenade, we're watching so many people walk by. They don't go down the street. They don't see the gardens in the background. They don't see the changes in architecture. And as we, we say, like, well, let's go. Because they're, they may say, well, there's no attraction here, right? Look at this guy with this map. He's looking to see what's here, and he's going to turn around and potentially walk away and miss the architecture, miss the details. And there's also a live group that performs back here as well, um, you know, hits from, UK hits from the, the 60s, 70s, and 80s. In fact, it looks like they're getting ready to start playing right now. So at one point, this was a Beatles tribute band that people were, were sad when they left. But now, uh, you know, the new group has uh, a new legion of fans, much like I think a lot of the new entertainment that's coming to Epcot is going to eventually have as well. What do you think they're going to open with? Uh, what are they going to open with? Hmm. Stones. The animals. Beatles. Kajagugu. They're going to play Kajagugu's greatest hits. I... <laughs> I am going to take that bet because I don't think that's going to happen at all. It's going to be the fix. Okay, they're just about ready. I think we should stick around and see what they uh, start with. And check this out, too. There's actually a little hedge maze back here for little kids and short people like me. You can enter on that side, and there's a little hedge maze that you can wind your way through. Of course, the music playing right now over the speakers while we're waiting is a British band. Yes, that's been together now f over 40 years. Beatles, Revolution, White Album, 1968. You are a man of many talents. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the UK. So we're leaving the music of Britain behind us, but right in front of us is the Rose and Crown. Now, why are there two different fronts to it, Lou? Because the Rose and Crown actually represents a number of different types of British-style pubs. One that you would find in the city, one that you would find in the country. We did a live restaurant review. There's a consistent theme here of the Rose and Crown. And I was blown away by the food, but it's got great story inside. And as you wander through, you can actually get a sense of the four different types of buildings that are represented inside from a traditional sort of pub to almost like a, a, the outdoor seating areas and a country-style house. And one of the best entertainment offerings in Epcot is the hat lady that plays the piano 
inside every night, I think, starting around 5, 5.30 or so. Huh. So did you have the blood sausage? I, I Not a huge... Scotch egg. <laughs> scotch egg is where it's at. I'm, a, I'm a, uh, a, a new fan and a big addict to the scotch egg. You know, as we're coming through the UK and entering Canada, I'm looking across the lagoon, and Mexico doesn't seem that far away now. It seems a lot more far away at like 12 o'clock on a Saturday in August. It's, it's miles away at that point. When you're trying to exit the park desperately and get home. Yeah, believe it or not, you know, the promenade is actually not as large as it might seem. It's only, you know, like 1.2 miles. So we really haven't burned enough calories to walk off the caramel corn and ice cream. No, we've, we've, we've sweated off big time. Look, we just walked from the United Kingdom all the way across to Canada, which, once again, is what I think is a visually stunning pavilion. I want to take you in here, and I want to walk through. There's a great attraction here called O Canada, starring Martin Short, who's Canadian, by the way. And very funny. And very funny. Um, like William Shatner, Canadian and funny. Great story here, a wide variety of architectures. I think I've already done a show on here. What I think people miss uh, about this pavilion is the opportunity to walk all the way back here if they don't want to see the show, because I think the waterfall is one of those great nooks and crannies and little hidden treasures. There's a lot of different uh, areas of Canada that are represented here, from the hotel to the trading post. But I think the beauty really comes all the way back here. Well, and I notice as we come in, you've got the Yukon, right? It's that prospecting uh, province of Canada. And then you've got those that look more like the uh, larger metropolitan areas. And this is very cool. I don't know if I've seen this. And this, too, is actually built with forced perspective. The plants and the trees up on top are smaller than the ones down below to make the mountain look like it's taller than it really is. I'm loving the waterfall. They really did hide that stuff away. you got to go seek it out now. When we first came with the kids, all the crafts were right out there in the open. You walked into an area, it was presented out front, so you couldn't miss it. Oh, the Kid Cuts Fun Stops. Right. Well, I think that's, you know, so you said it's sort of tucked away here in the far corner of the waterfall and the, the Victoria Gardens. But I think that's what they want. They want to draw you into a pavilion that you might not have come into otherwise if you weren't going to see the show or eat at Le Cellier. Well, the thing is, had we not been presented with those kids' activities right out front, we probably wouldn't have known to go look for them. So as we complete the circle and our trip around the world in World Showcase, uh, i got to tell you, this for me, and I know a lot of my friends is the place that we really enjoy coming when we want to just get together and have a meal and just chat because it it very much lends itself to doing what we're doing today is just walking around and wandering and sort of peeking your way in and out of pavilions. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun today, Lou. And of course, our day's not done. We're going to go hit Future World, taking some rides. But as far as, you know, around the world in one day here, we just did it. I learned a lot from you as I always do, and uh, not just about Disney, but just getting to know you better, and uh, really appreciate you taking the time to do this. No, this is a lot of fun, man. I could do this all day, um, and next time you come back, we'll have to hit another park and, uh, and explore a little bit more. I hope I didn't bore you with some of the, the trivia along the way, but I want your experience, and I want the people listening 
uh, to feel as though they're walking with us and sort of getting a little bit of a taste of just some of the overlooked experiences and details and stories and, and layers of the onion that World Showcase and, and all the you know all the parks here at Walt Disney World have. Um, I'd love them to get to know you a little bit better. Go to joelcom. That's joelcomm.com. You know, I thought that was a fake name when I first met you. I'm like, this guy changed his last name to like .com. A lot of people do. I recently wrote a blog entry about the five most frequently asked questions I get. Number one is, is com your real name? And it is my real name. It's .com with two M's. I think it's proof uh, in that God has a great sense of humor that I would end up in the Internet business and teaching people how to make money online. If you would have named your kid Dorothy, so she could have been .com, that would have, she would have gotten beaten up in high school, but it would have been awesome for us. It would have been incredibly <laughs> cruel, and uh, we entertained it just briefly enough to know that we would have had the Child Protective <laughs> Services on us, and so we chose to give her a totally unrelated name. doesn't matter because every member of the family is first name dot. That's I get Joel.com all the time. And I wish I owned that domain. I don't. It's Joel.com.com. And I invite anybody to uh, follow me on Twitter at Joel.com or on Facebook.com forward slash Joel.com. Awesome. And please go and check out old episodes and blog posts over at www.radio.com. Just do a search for World Showcase. You can find shows about the World Showcase that never was, DSI, Disney Scene Investigations, and Wayback Machines to help you understand and appreciate the parks more. Of course, if you want to learn more about places like the Magic Kingdom, check out my audio tours. Again, you can find those over at www.radio.com. And brother, we got to do this again because this is always a lot of fun. And it's been like 15 minutes since we've eaten something. So we gotta, I know, yeah. right. And I see the Journey into Imagination Pavilion calling us. <laughs> For our Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or see how well you pay attention to the details in what you see and maybe even what you hear, you can then enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package each and every week. But before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, our question was about the Backlot Tour, which closed on September 27th over at Disney's Hollywood Studios to make way for an as-yet-unannounced attraction or maybe even expansion of the land itself. And your question was simply this. Tell me, what was the name of the oil company featured in Catastrophe Canyon on the burning tanker truck, and you also could have found it on a crashed plane during the tour as well? Again, thanks to the hundreds of you who entered and got this one correct because you knew the answer was the Mojave Oil Company, which, a little bit of trivia, you also used to be able to find on a can in Mickey's Garage over at Mickey's Toontown Fair. So I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one. You were playing for all of my audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, a copy of my 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World book, and a signed copy of a photograph of Richard Sherman and our winner last week is Jack Hartle. So, Jack, congratulations. Send me your information. I'll get your package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay. Thanks for playing. But don't worry, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. 
So one of my favorite holidays, Halloween, is coming up very quickly. I can't believe it's October already. So your question this week is this. In Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress in Tomorrowland and the Magic Kingdom, what costume is little Jimmy wearing for Halloween? You have until Sunday, October 5th at 11.59 p.m. to email your answer to contest at wdwradio.com. You'll again be playing for all the audio tours, a copy of my 102 Ways to Save Money for an At Walt Disney World book, and in the spirit of Halloween, I will also send you a Halloween vinylmation. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you again so very much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I also want to give a quick thanks to everybody who's been reviewing my new book, 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World over on Amazon. We have more than 130 reviews so far, including new ones from Jay Lambert, Amazon customer, Troy and D. Brennahill. I really do appreciate it. If you have the book, if you like it, please go to Amazon.com. You can rate and review it there. You can also go to Disney102.com to find out more and purchase the book right from the website. Also, don't forget that in addition to the weekly podcast, please come by to WDWRadioLive.com. Every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, I do a live video broadcast and chat where you can tune in and watch as I discuss this week's Walt Disney World news and interact with me real-time in the chat room and then stay because after the news is over we'll just stay and chat about anything that you want and you can ask me anything in the lightning round again that's every Wednesday 7.30pm Eastern over at www.radiolive.com you can also watch right from your mobile phone as well and over at www.radio.com there is the blog videos newsletter app for your uh, iPhone and Android device and lots more you know I love hearing from you so if you have a question you want answered on the air you can send it to Lou at wdwradio.com or call the voicemail be heard on the air by either clicking on the button right on the website or calling the voicemail at 407-900-9391 you can also connect with me over on Twitter I'm at Lou Mangello you can follow me over at facebook.com slash Lou Mangello and like the WDW Radio page at facebook.com slash WDW Radio. As much as I love interacting with you guys online and responding to emails, and I promise I answer every email personally, I think that nothing beats a handshake and a hug, and that's why I have Meets of the Month every month in Walt Disney World. The next is going to be this Friday, October 3rd, as part of our day in Disney's Hollywood studio and our Twilight at the Tower event later on that night. The Meet of the Month is going to be from 3 o'clock to 4.30 p.m. over at the ABC Commissary. That's just going to be following our studio's quest and scavenger hunt there's still a couple of tickets left for that. You can visit www.radio.com slash tower for more information. Also, be sure to visit loumangelo.com to find out about other meetups and events and speaking things I'll be doing on the road outside of Walt Disney World. You can also find out how we can work together, whether I come speak at your conference, to your business, or at your school, or work with you one-on-one or as part of our group mastermind, especially if you are a podcaster or want to start a podcast. I can definitely help you out there. Again, you can go over to loumangelo.com. Also, quick thanks to my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official and recommended travel provider because it's who I use. They will get you the best possible prices, all available discounts, all at no cost to you. But most importantly, they do it with an incredible level of personal service that is their hallmark. Go and visit them over at mousefantravel.com. And if you want some Disney magic delivered right to your door or your digital device, go to celebrationspress.com and find out how you can subscribe and celebrate there. 
And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, I promise you that. All I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tell your friends. Tweet out that you're listening. Share links over on Facebook. And please go to iTunes and rate and review the show. It takes only a couple of minutes. We have almost 900 reviews for the show so far. Let's see if we can maybe get to 1,000 five-star reviews. I want to say thanks to DLM in Texas and Michael Scott 27 for their reviews over the past couple of days. Very, very helpful. Very much appreciated. So thank you to each and every one of you. And finally, and most importantly, I want to say thank you again to you for letting me do what I do and share my passion for Disney through the podcast and so many other ways. I say this all the time because I mean it. I feel as though I am the luckiest, happiest, most blessed man on the planet because you allow me to do what I love. And I want you to feel that same way and start to pursue the thing that you are passionate about. And remember that having faith, and I mean faith in yourself or or your dream or a higher power or whatever it may be, faith is what makes all things possible. Not easy, but possible. So be strong and never quit and always keep moving forward. Have a great, great week, everybody. So until next time, see ya. Hi, Lou. This is uh, Richie from Westfield, New Jersey. Uh, I just finished listening to your newscast from September 17th uh, about the closing of Maelstrom. Uh, I must confess, I'm sad to see the ride go, but for more personal reasons than just the ride itself. Now, I'm 36, and when the ride opened in 88, I was a very impressionable 11 years old. These were the years I started to develop loves for things like baseball and Disney, the very things that keep me young even today. Now, a year earlier, in 87, I remember with great vividness Regis Philbin announcing the Disney World coming attractions on the Disney Christmas Parade, things like Pleasure Island, Typhoon Lagoon, the new Grand Floridian Resort, Disney MGM Studios, and yes, the Norway and Maelstrom uh, areas were all announced. I mean, these announcements blew my mind as a kid, and I've compiled so many memories of each of these attractions as as in these resorts uh, in the past years. But I know that there are impressionable 10-year-olds today that need exciting new experiences and things to look forward to. So in this vein, I say the announcement of a Frozen attraction is making many, many, many current children happy, and it gives them something positive and enchanting to look forward to. So to the Imagineers, I say do a bang-up job on the new ride, because please keep the waterfall portion of the ride. It creates great ambiance in the uh, pavilion itself. Uh, thanks, Lou, for always uh, telling us to look positively. You're a great example of that, and uh, you know we all love the show. See you soon. Hello, Lou Mangello and the WDW Radio Fox people and the WDW Radio Disney Wonder Alaska Cruisers and everybody that's in the box right now. This is Darlene Nagy from West Seneca, New York, I'm calling in to say yes, Becky. It is 250 days away for the Alaska cruise. And hey, Jimmy, hi, Beatrice, hope you're doing better. Um, I am so excited that I was able to listen to the box while I was driving home from my cousins for dinner, and we were talking with my uncle, and he really wished he would have been able to get up to Alaska when they had their RV. That was one of his plans, and he never got to do it. Um, So I'm going to live this cruise out for him as one of his um, wishes, like what my husband and I have is a bucket list thing, and I'm so happy that we're doing this with all of our friends. Can't wait to see everybody in 250 days. Have a magical day, and always think positive and move forward. Nice. 